accountants. It's time to make it count. My name is Freddie Bennett, former accounting industry executive turned entrepreneur, business owner, change maker, and Guinness world record holder. In each episode, we bring you the powerhouses from across the accounting world to help you discover how to unlock endless possibilities, turbocharge your accounting practice, and make it count in business and in life. Thank you for showing up for yourself today. Now, let's dive into another unmissable episode of Make It Count. Welcome to another show-stopping episode of Make It Count. We continue to be the podcast that the whole accounting world is talking about. And today, folks, I have got a real treat for you. I am delighted to welcome to the Make It Count studio, Mr. Peter McCarroll, owner at Fuel Accountants. Peter, welcome to Make It Count. Thanks, Freddie. Great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And Peter, I know you are currently based in Toronto, so it's amazing to see Make It Count continuing to go internationally and spread around the world. So Peter, to get us started, for anyone that hasn't heard of you or hasn't heard of, of Fuel Accountants, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I was born in Wellington, New Zealand, and my dad was an accountant. So my first real job was working for him. Well, actually, I guess my first real job was McDonald's, but we won't count that. So yeah, started my accounting career working for him and then started working for Deloitte's, worked in three countries, plus little assignments uh, aside of that. And then in 2001, got laid off after 9-11, was in the US at the time, actually went back to school and did a completely unrelated graduate degree in theology. And then we uh, we were living in the States at the time. We'd moved, uh, we were in Canada because I met my wife while on secondment to Canada and we got married and traveled part of the, of the world together and then moved back to New Zealand. And we thought that was going to be it. And I was working in a nonprofit organization for a few years. And when that ended, I decided to open my own accounting practice. And that was in, oh gosh, I forget now, 2010. It's a long time ago. And then uh, in 2013, my mother-in-law, who was living in Toronto, got sick. And we had to decide what we we're going to do. And we decided to move our family with four kids back to Toronto. And uh, that was a bit of a, a lightning shed moment because, you know, how do you take a practice of, you know, of an account, small growing accounting firm and then run it from the other side of the world? And the good news there was from day one, I had jumped on board with zero. And uh, so it was completely cloud-based. I was able to work from anywhere. I had totally digital phone systems. And so, you know, it was very easy to sort of literally pick up and unpack in Toronto and now be able to continue doing what I did before. So uh, now I've got clients in New Zealand. I've got clients uh, across Canada. And I now also have a US uh, associate uh, who also trades under the Fuel Accountants brand. And so now we serve clients in the US. And we focus primarily on entrepreneurs, uh, family-owned businesses, and we do full-range bookkeeping, accounting, consulting, you know, uh, advisory. And uh, in our particular area, we are profit-first professionals. So we, one of our specialties is, is helping people implement the profit-first cash flow management system. Perfect. What a story! Literally a global globe-trotting story there, Peter. And. We're going to dive into so many different elements of this. But if we go back to the beginning for a start, and you said your father was an accountant, 
Was it always written in the stars that you'd be an accountant? Was it something that you pushed back against and said, no, I'm not going to do that? How did that all come about, the career? Yeah, well, you'd think it's in the blood. It probably is. But, you know, when I was 14, and my dad had these high hopes of me becoming an accountant. And I remember one day he came home and he'd, he'd checked out of the, you know, back then the New Zealand Institute of Chartered Accountants. Uh, he checked out of the library an introduction to accounting textbook. And he threw it at me. He said, here, have a read of this. And I think I got a chapter and a half into it. And I said, Dad, this makes no sense. And I just gave it back to him. And I think he was very disheartened. Next year, fifth form, first chance to do an actual accounting program at school. And I did the accounting course and was one of the top three students in the school in accounting. And funnily enough, one of those other students was a, a guy my age called Martin Watson. And Martin's dad and my dad just happened to be in practice together. So, yeah, I think it was in the blood. <laughs> When you went on this journey and you joined Deloitte, was that always the goal then, to accept your future as such, to join a big four firm and then just work your way up the career ladder? Or did you not not have a plan? Was it just going from, from one year to the next? Well, I always knew that I wanted to go to one of the big firms. My ultimate goal was partnership. Didn't know what that would look like. I started out an audit audit's a pretty rough career track. And that's what got me around the world. I, I did a 10 weeks of comment in Denver, Colorado, Jersey and the Channel Islands, then an 18 month assignment to Toronto. From there, I ended up in the US doing software, not developments, but involved in software development for the audit practice. So I've had a range of experience with Deloitte and, and 11 years with Deloitte. So it was fantastic. At some point early on, I knew that I probably wanted a career change. And for me, that was church work. And so that's one of the reasons why when I got laid off, I said, okay, the time is now to go back to school. And I did an MDiv degree. And so I actually did that for a few years. And I still do that, you know, on a volunteer basis. But a few years in, realized that there were some areas that, you know, I didn't like. And I always yearned back to the accounting days. Even when I was a pastor, I would do the church books. And I still do. The church I work for, 12 years later, I'm still doing their books. Mm. When I decided to step out of that role, it was just a natural role to go back to business, back to accounting. It was a core skill that I had and had maintained. And from there, my main focus is helping people. And so I don't really see these two roles as actually being that different. A lot of what I do is teaching, helping, and serving. I think that's a really powerful point in terms of the teaching, the helping, and the serving. And I always say something similar that... Um, Accounting first and foremost, it's like being a magician or being a doctor, but instead of wowing audiences or treating patients, you're helping businesses. And so much of that is actually moving away from the numbers and focusing on that teaching, helping and serving. And that's how we really get the best outcomes for our clients, for their businesses, for their families. And then as an output of that, we grow our own businesses as well. But, but exactly. focusing yeah. on, on helping, service and teaching is, is so important. Yeah. And the other aspect, too, that, you know, many people underestimate if they're not an accountant is, you know, a lot of what we do is semi pastoral. We're counseling people. We're we're in the middle of marriages and you know divorces and and you know struggles and things like that. A lot of what I do is not accounting, but just being alongside people and helping them through a, a tough time. Sure, often those tough times have a tax man involved. Um, but you know, for them it's still a tough time. They still need a supportive friend to walk alongside them and tell them what they should be doing. 
there are a lot of similarities between the pastoral role and the accounting role, and I like to try and blend those as best I can. I'm not good at the pastoral role in some respects, you know, the counseling and the friendly stuff. Um, I'm still a numbers man at heart, I think. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap there. Absolutely. And and I want to focus on one area as well in terms of the the, the tough times and I was smiling to myself when you were talking about the Deloitte career because it was PwC for me and um, I was exactly the same. I kind of joined the big four firm. The goal was to make partner. I'd travel around the world. I'd go wherever I needed to go. And it was a great experience. I learned so much, but there started to become this growing doubt inside my own mind that is, is making partner at a big four firm really what I want to do? Is that really what's to fulfill me if you want to dive into the the, the theology side of things i was thinking, is this really what i was put on the planet to do and, and i started mm-hmm. to have those doubts and and you say when you were laid off in in 2001 were those doubts already in in your mind when, when you were laid off was was that a, was that a shock was that a sad experience how how did you feel when when that happened it was actually incredibly joyful Uh, Mm. My wife and I, uh, we both have November birthdays, so we typically go out for dinner in the middle of November to celebrate our birthdays. And so we'd gone out, and one of the things she asked me is, well, you know, what do you think? Do you still want to go and do, you know, the Bible college program, or is that off the table now? And I said, no, I think I really want to do it. And she said, well, you know, we've been here in New Jersey for six years. We'd uh, had our first child. We owned a home. You know, it's going to get harder to make that choice in the future. So we actually made the decision that night that I was going to resign and next summer we would make the move to do a program. Didn't know where or what it was going to be just yet, but we'd made that decision. This is what we're going to do. Well, literally three or four days later, I get called into my boss's office to get laid off. Mm. And I go home with this massive smile on my face. I can't wait to tell my wife what's what's going on. <laughs> and uh, I get home and she has a dentist appointment. So she literally hands me the baby and says, here, I've got to run. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there with my daughter, Rachel, in my arms, bursting with this news um, that that I find incredibly exciting and she has to run away and get her, get her teeth worked on. So I had to wait till she got home. And, and her first reaction was, no, no, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not kidding you. And my severance payout got me almost to the day at full salary of when we left New Jersey. It's amazing how how these things work out sometimes. This is why I'd like to, to sort of weave in my next question around what do you think the theology degree and the theology side of things can can intertwine with accountancy? but. I see this with accounting firms. I see this with my clients, with with so many different aspects of life. We can take a situation that may be on the surface coming across as quite a negative situation, as quite a, a negative life impacting situation. And either in that moment or further down the line, through a change of perspective that we may discover ourselves, we may be helped to see um, that outwardly negative situation could actually change your life for the better and could take you on a totally different path. And and is that something that you found, obviously? And do you see that with your clients as well? Yeah, well, I don't like to overly spiritualize things, especially when we're we're looking at a client's business. I mean, obviously, for me, faith is a really important part of my life. And so I bring that to the work that I do. It's not a requirement that I have for my clients. And so some clients want to talk about that and many 
don't want to talk about that, and I'm okay either way. For me in my own journey, you know, there's a famous verse, even non-Christians have probably heard people use it, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. And so for me, you know, I've certainly felt that in my life. Every time I think something is a setback, it turns out to be a good thing. Mm. You know, I trust, you know, at all times that even though in the individual circumstances, I may have lost money, I may be out of a job, it's not the end of my story. Definitely. Now, my story might not look the same as it was had I stayed on the other trajectory. Had I stayed with Deloitte's, I'd probably be earning a lot more money and I probably wouldn't have seen my children grow up. Mm. Okay. Now, I still work really hard and I still work long hours and I don't make as much money as I would if I'd worked for Deloitte's, but I work from home. I see my kids almost every day, except when I'm traveling. Mm. You know, my, my wife will tell me I'm not always available, um, but I'm able to see, hug, talk to my children all the time. I've got four kids. The youngest is now 15. The oldest is 23. So, you know, I've been able to see them and be with them, even if I'm working, because I'm mostly working at home. And I think that's a major, I'm willing to sacrifice the money to be able to be around with my family. I told my wife when we moved here to Toronto, I said, if I could have gone back to Deloitte's and got a job with one of the big firms very easily. And I said, if I was to do that, I'd be leaving home at six in the morning and probably getting home at eight or nine o'clock at night and I'd just be spent. Mm. So sure, I may be working some reasonable hours from here, but I'm around. If we need to take one of the kids for an appointment, I can put that on my calendar. I have total flexibility in how I plan my time. You know, so I'm more available than I would be if I worked downtown. If I worked downtown and you needed me for something, it's going to take me at least an hour or two to get home. It's not the sort of thing where I can just pause a meeting or cancel a meeting and, and deal with an emergency. It's a little different. So it's been really good, especially with my mother-in-law when she lived with us. Knowing that my wife could go to work and that someone was still home with mum was really important to us. Mm. You know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, even though she was in our house, that, you know, she felt like she had that support. We created a space where she had some privacy and some her own space, but never to the point where she was isolated mm. from anybody. My office is right next to her lounge. So if she fell, I would hear it. If she cried out or called for something, I would hear it. And a couple of times I had to pause a meeting and run out of the room to work out what was going on if she dropped something, for example. So I think that was incredibly important. And when we moved from New Zealand to Canada, this is what we said to our kids. We said, you know, we put it, if you will, in sort of religious language. We said, this is our mission. Our mission is to help grandma in this stage of her life or however long it takes. And, you know, everything we do is oriented around that. The house we bought, everything was built around that. How I run my job, my business is built around that. So we did that. Unfortunately, she passed away last year. But, you know, that was a huge part of our life for many, many years. I mean, our kids grew up with that for half their lives, most of them. You know, with that as being the primary thing that we did. I think that's so powerful, Peter. And I'd love to delve a bit deeper into that. I think firstly, as you were talking and leading on from our previous question, one of my one of the phrases that always gives me a lot of strength come came to my mind, which is that the world is not as it is. The world is as we see it. And I think we can bring so many different perspectives to our mm -hmm. situation, whether it's a layoff. We can help clients as well, because if a client is facing a struggle, whether that be a liquidation, an insolvency, a tax bill, a, a marriage breakup, whatever it is, we can help them to see that 
a situation that may appear bad now can improve and could actually be a whole new launch pad for a whole new life direction. Mm-hmm. Yes. But what I wanted to really focus on was what I found really powerful in what you're saying is that you design your business, your your life around your mission. Because I, I speak to so many people. I know I was in this position myself as well. I say, I want to do this, but I can't because of the business or because of the clients or because of the work. Or there's lots of talk about people say, oh, we'd, I'd love to take my life in this direction or care for the family member or take the family on an adventure. But we have to make these sacrifices for years and years and years. And then maybe we'll do it in the future. But you did it a different way. You said, this is what we want to do. So we're going to design everything around this. Yeah. And how? How did you make that? Was that just the way it's always been? Was there trial and error? And it's clearly something that you've been really successful at building. I think it helped when we made the decision to leave Deloitte. Mm. Admittedly, the result was forced upon us. Mm. So, you know, I say it was a choice, but the choice was enacted upon us rather than by us, ultimately. I think that was somewhat freeing. I remember when my first house, we were working in New Jersey with Deloitte, and I came in and told my boss that we'd just had our offer accepted on our first house. And he went, wonderful, golden handcuffs. Now you can't leave. <laughs> and that was my first real sense, a J-O-B. You know, it's, a, mm. it's hard to leave. It's hard to make decisions when you're restrained by a mortgage or by debt or by something else. As business owners, you know, when I talk to my clients, I mean, most of my clients are in a job they can't quit mm. because they're restrained by this job and by this the service line. And so I think for me, having that experience where I was literally able to make the decision to walk away was really helpful. And now, obviously, we were in a good position. We had no debt apart from the mortgage. We had money in the bank. We knew that we could make this work. Mm. So we were in a fortunate position. And I guess every time we've made a move, we have been lucky, blessed, fortunate, whatever word you want to put around that, to be in a good financial position. We've lived our lives without debt. Except for the mortgage, we never have any debt. Mm. So we know that there's nothing. If we wanted to make a change in our life, we can do that. We have to think about the house, yes, but we can do that. Mm. And so it gives us a lot of freedom. So when we made the decision to move from New Zealand to Canada, I mean, that's a huge move. My business was only a few years old in New Zealand, my accounting business, and it had just grown to the point where I was starting to earn some moderate money. I wouldn't say good money, moderate money. And I knew that for me to do this and grow a business in Canada, I would have to hire someone to take over some of that New Zealand work. Mm. So my first decision was to pay someone almost as much as I was earning so that I could leave the country. Mm. You know, it would have been easier just to close up the practice and just start again somewhere else. Making those decisions, I guess, you know, having a bit of a faith background is a little bit easier for us because, you know, we, we just have that belief system that says, it'll all work out in the end. It might not be what we would have chosen the first time round, but it's all going to work out in the end. I think that's super powerful. And it is such a refreshing approach to say, we're going to make this change. It's going to work out in the end rather than I've seen this and I've probably said it myself rather than, oh, what terrible timing. This, this opportunity's come up when I've just started to get my business going, when I've just started to do, oh, so I've either got to, leave this thing with bitterness and some some spite behind me that I've had to make the sacrifice or I've got to say no to this opportunity but the fact mm-hmm. that you've said we will make it work and uh, we will find a way 
I think it's, it's really inspiring. And then the fact that it can show that there is always a way. It may not be clear. It may not be obvious. It may not be easy, but there is always a way forward to achieve what you want to achieve and, and live the life that you want to live. Yeah. And I think it's also important to say it's not always going to be an easy way mm. and it might not always be the most financially lucrative way. We lived on savings. We were rubbing, you know, matchsticks together for heat kind of thing in the first couple of years we were here. I mean, I, I, I literally had no income mm. and we just bought a house. Most expensive house we'd ever owned at that, you know, and we were looking after my mother-in-law and I was trying to start a new business while keeping another one or two running in the background. Mm. It was tough for the first few years. It really was. But, you know, that was the mission. That was what we decided to do. And now I'm earning much better money. I'm able to afford to travel. That that, that first year and a half, two years, I couldn't afford to go back to New Zealand to visit my parents. Mm. We just didn't have enough cash. Sounds very familiar, but the other way around, as, uh, as someone who moved from the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere a couple of years ago with... Uh, yeah, with, with no contact, no business and uh, wanting to start again. But it does just show that, as we say, anything is is possible. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to focus on on the business now, Peter, in terms of your, your day-to-day uh, business and working with your clients. How do you manage to run a, a an international accounting firm as, as such yeah. with, with clients in different time zones, different issues and everything else? Well, I think the biggest factor was, you know, when I started my business in New Zealand, Zero was about two years old. And I was deciding between MYOB and spending $10,000 plus on getting set up on MYOB or Zero. Mm. And I chose Zero. And not to say anything bad about MYOB, but back then it was desktop versus cloud. Cloud was clearly the right choice. Mm. That really enabled me to be able to physically separate the business and the clients. The client can be anywhere. And I distinctly remember a client that I had. They lived around the corner from me in Stokes Valley, New Zealand. They were on MYOB. And so every time I needed to do something, they had to do a backup. They would generally stick it on a floppy disk or a memory stick and run it around to me. Sometimes they'd email it to me if they were, you know, I think they had still had dial up at that point. You know, they'd run it around to me. And I'd have to restore the file, work on the file, make my changes, back the file up again, send it back to them. And they couldn't touch it until I got back to them. Okay. It was really slow. And I remember we moved them to zero. And yeah, a couple of months later, you know, I get what I, I refer to as the holy crap phone call. <laughs> and and the client rings me out and says, Peter, I've made a big mistake. I think I've screwed everything up. I don't know how to fix it. Can you fix it? And so I log in, I look at the issue, I say, Oh, I know exactly what you've done. It's not a big deal. Hang on a second. A few clicks later, okay, I've undone what you've did. I fixed that problem. You are ready to go ahead you know, and continue your work. And he went, oh, my goodness, that is so amazing. That would have taken you know, a total of a couple of hours to get to that point had we still been on MYOB. Mm. You know? So being able to be in the cloud meant I could now be anywhere. So I moved quickly to digital, all digital technologies. So cloud storage for everything, cloud ledgers, uh, digital phone systems. Okay, so to this day, I still have that Stokes Valley phone number Mm. that now routes to my Canadian phone number and costs me almost nothing to maintain, a few dollars a month. Amazing. I started searching for online tools. Zoom came out, started using Zoom before anyone knew how to spell it. And, you know, way before the pandemic, I was already a Zoom warrior. Mm. And so that really made a huge difference. 
So now I'm able to talk to my clients in New Zealand at no cost to them. We do everything on Zoom. Uh, my whole practice, my staff are all distributed. I've got a staff member who lives literally a couple of kilometers away from me, and we spend more time together on Zoom than we do in person. Mm. Using those digital technologies now means that I can give the same level of support. In fact, I reckon I can give better support on Zoom than I can face-to-face. People don't have to travel to meet me. I don't have to travel to see them. While I enjoy being able to have a cup of coffee, you know, sometimes even have a hug with my clients, I can still give them the same accounting service completely digitally. I was going to ask, because I'm I'm sure there'll be listeners who are hearing this and saying, oh, but the, the importance of building that relationship with clients, and that has to be done in person, it has to be done face to face. But it sounds like you've you've managed to not only establish, but grow and deepen those relationships all or at least predominantly online. Absolutely. I mean, I think the pandemic has reinforced that we can do this. We did Mm. it for two years where we didn't go and visit people. We did everything online. Now, yes, we get Zoom fatigue. We don't like being online you know, all day. I'm an introvert, so actually, I'm actually quite okay with it. I think it proved what I was already doing, which was you can grow a business totally remote. And do you find yourself pulled in different directions? As in, if you were looking at building your practice, do I focus on Canadian clients or New Zealand clients or the US that you mentioned? Is there lots of different demands or conflicting priorities there? Yeah. So my colleague Mario and I, he's based in the US. So we we work very closely together and we make a lot of decisions together, even about each other's practice. He's my sounding board, I'm his, things like that. So we were talking about the New Zealand practice versus the Canadian practice. And the markets are quite different. So one of the decisions that we made was uh, yeah, we were talking about trying to gain some more clients in New Zealand, particularly around Profit First, trying to maybe run some seminars, maybe do some live presentations as a way of communicating the Profit First idea and attracting some clients. And we know that's all possible. I go to New Zealand once or twice a year. That was all something I knew we could achieve. But we looked at where was business the easiest from an accountant perspective. And we sort of made the decision that it was easier, growing faster in Canada than it was in New Zealand. Mm. So it's not that I've closed my New Zealand practice, but I'm no longer marketing the practice and I'm not running around looking for new clients. Mm. I still get people contacting me and I'll still take them on, but I'm no longer pushing that. And part of the reason is I'm not there. Mm. It's not that it's difficult. It's just that I find it so much easier to focus on where I am. Part of it is just my headspace. And I'm finding growth to be much easier here in Canada than in New Zealand. Part of it could also be, you know, New Zealand's five plus years ahead of Canada when it comes to digital adoption. Really? So things like zero are already the norm in New Zealand, whereas in Canada, it's still penetrating. Interesting. So, you know, being a zero expert means that clients are out there looking for someone that knows zero and their local accountant only knows how to spell QuickBooks. Mm. So they're looking for someone and I become a natural choice because I've been using zero for 11 years. I've won an award for my work with zero. I'm one of the world's best zero accountants, in my opinion. Um, so it's easier to sell that in Canada than it is in New Zealand, where every accountant in New Zealand has been using, or not every, but most have been using zero for many years now. So we've just made the decision that it's more efficient and more profitable for us to focus on growing our business in Canada than New Zealand. And we'll keep the New Zealand practice. It's very small, 
I'm happy with the clients I've got. I love serving those clients. I don't want to change that, but our focus is going to be growing on the Canadian side. I love it. And I can almost hear the, the stampede of thousands of, of New Zealand accountants rushing their way to Canada now with their zero expertise. But I think it sounds like you've, you've got things very well covered over there. Uh, I wanted to touch on, on Profit First as well, Peter. And how did that arrangement all come around? Was Profit First something that you discovered? Was this a, a proactive strategic move to follow this approach with your clients? Yeah, so I'd been looking for sort of a advisory leg for the business. I did really well talking to clients. I did really well on the core accounting and compliance functions that that was no problem. But I was looking for something that would give me a bit of an edge on the advisory side. I'd looked at a few other things in the past and and nothing really sort of stuck well with me. And uh, I'd read Mike McAllowitz's book, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. That was one of his, I think it was his first book. And in it, there was this chapter called Profit First. Mm. I remember reading it and then realizing that there was another book that took this prop, this this idea into more detail, and I had it on my reading list, but I hadn't read it. Mm. And then one day I got a call out of the blue. This is how I remember it from Ron Saharian, the co-founder of Profit First Professionals, Mike's business partner. Mm. And he had obviously been referred to me by someone else and wanted to know if I had any interest in joining the organization. And so I remember it was it was close to Christmas. And I said, well, let me read the book and I'll get back to you. So I read the book over Christmas and I called him up on in like early January and just said, I'm in. This is amazing. I love it. This is what I've been looking for. I've been teaching budgeting and personal finances for a decade and had never applied it to business. Mm. And you know, it was just an instant fit. I joined the organization, I think it was back in 2016. So I've been, you know, a profit first professional now for six or seven years. And in fact, last week I was down in New Jersey um, at the annual profit con, you know, the annual conference mm. for profit first professionals. And I love its simplicity and the fact that it actually makes a difference for business owners that implement it properly. Definitely. And I think, as you say, from an accounting perspective, many accountants are always looking for something that could help them to both market, sell, and also deliver advisory services to their clients and being more than, say, just a, just a number cruncher or, or an accountant. Do you feel that the clients in general are, are in need of more and more advisory services? Do you think that that's more of where, where the accounting industry is going to go towards serving that need? Absolutely. I don't think compliance is going away, at least not yet. Mm. I think most business owners they absolutely need someone to come alongside them and help them talk through their financial issues. You know, we all know that entrepreneurship is a, is a lonely, lonely trail. Mm. And your spouse doesn't understand it. Your family doesn't understand it. Uh, your employees don't understand it. And oftentimes you go and speak to other people in business and you walk away scratching your head wondering why they're still in business based on the advice they gave you. And I think having that companion of a seasoned business owner, like an accountant, although to be honest, sometimes accountants aren't great business owners, but someone that's seen a lot and can offer you guidance, pointers, help you with your financial matters, make sure that you're thinking about the future, not just the past. Again, accountants aren't always the best at that. But, you know, being able to sort of offer that business coaching, you know, I consider for myself to be more of a financial coach than a business coach. Mm. But, you know, being able to walk alongside our clients and help them with those next steps. Most entrepreneurs and small business owners don't have that. It's true. And uh, 
I, I always think there's it's not an identity issue with with accountants. I think it's maybe an ability to keep quiet about their talents because yes. I 100 percent believe that accountants have the skills, the experience, the qualifications, the abilities to make massive changes in in clients' businesses. But most of the time, clients don't even realize that they just say oh you know accountants do accounting and, and that's what they've always done and that's what they'll always do but it's that ability to really help clients to see the art of the possible and do you do anything in particular to help your clients to understand that you are more than just an accountant you can help them transform the way they operate yeah so i mean every client is, is different and so you know the, the services we provide to different clients obviously varies our ideal scenario is we have different pricing packages. And so one of our packages, our top package is called the valet package. Mm. And in the valet package, we do the bookkeeping for them. Mm. We give the monthly financial statements and we have a monthly meeting with me and the client to talk about profit first, review their finances and look to the future. They're the three pillars of those meetings. And that's what I believe every business owner needs Mm. Obviously, there's a cost for that. And one of the challenges in New Zealand is that many business owners, we are a DIY economy. And so everyone wants to do everything as cheaply as possible. Definitely. And that's where trying to sell that package of services, even though it's what they need, a lot of people don't want to pay for it. Whereas in Canada, accounting and bookkeeping is a little more complex. We've got a lot more complex tax system and a more complex sales tax system. And so therefore, business owners in Canada realize they actually have to pay somebody for something. And so being able to say to them, hey, this is what I can offer you, they go, yes, I know I need that and I know I should pay for it. Whereas a little bit of the business psyche in New Zealand, and I know you've had some great New Zealand accountants on the podcast already who I've really enjoyed listening to. I'm sure they will all tell me I'm flat wrong and they're probably right. But my feeling is, especially at the lower level where I I started my business, is that's a lot of a harder sell. I absolutely see that perspective. And uh, I think it's, we have to believe it's right for us. I think that that kind of brings us back to, to what we were saying earlier around it's about having that faith however you want to define that faith, that, that we're on the right path. And there always will be people who say, I think you should do it this way, or I think you should do it that way. Uh, the, the irony of, uh, uh, I think, accountants who are, who would quite like to be able to tell their clients the, how they can improve their business also means that you sometimes get a hundred different opinions as to, as to yep. how to take things forward. So I do think that's a key point. And as we start to bring things to a close, Peter, I'd love to get your view on the future, not what... The future for for the, for the accounting industry and accountants that we've started to touch upon, but also the future for you is is another move on the card. Is Toronto where where your future lies, and how how does the path look? Yeah, so I'll work backwards from that. Um, we're not looking to move at this point. Mm. My wife found out that she gets very allergic, yeah, high allergic reactions when she's in New Zealand. Mm. So we've sort of decided she's allergic to New Zealand. So <laughs> a two-week visit's about the most that she can handle. So moving back to New Zealand isn't on the cards. So we're, we're going to be in Canada. At some point when the kids have you know all finished school, we may decide to leave this area, maybe downsize a little bit and maybe move to a cheaper area. <laughs> Toronto is incredibly expensive. Mm. So yeah, a move might be on the cards, but we're not moving out of Canada at this point. I don't I don't see that happening. So yeah, I my plan is we want to continue growing fuel accountants. 
Uh, we're working really hard right now on our staff team, more so on, than even on the marketing side, because we know if we don't get the staff and the training side right, everything else we do will fail. But we are growing. I want to see that grow. I want to be able to, to bring on some more coaches to do what I do. You know, right now I'm a one-man band. I want to start bringing on other accountants, you know, who are able to do what I do mm. and deliver that kind of advisory work with clients. We'd love to see this as a brand expand a little bit. So we're actually really keen on, on talking to people that might be looking to either start their own practice or start to bring in some small clients they've got and want to grow using the kind of back office structure we've created and the philosophy that we've created. We think this is sort of, it's not totally unique, but I think the way we've packaged it is different than the majority of accountants, especially here in Canada. Um, so yeah, we're, I'm really keen to see where that goes um, and continue to grow the practice, bring more people on. Part of our mission is to bless our community. I believe that hiring people and creating opportunities uh, is an important part of being an entrepreneur. And that's something I want to, I want to see us continue to do. I love that. I think that's that's such a powerful mission. I think again, one of the, the phrases I always say is if we can fill our days with service, then you don't have to worry about the revenue side of things. If we can just focus mm -hmm. on how could I serve people as powerfully as possible in terms of my colleagues, my business partners, my clients, my family, my community, fill our days with service and a lot of our, our worries and stresses go away. Peter, this has been such a powerful conversation. Thank you so much. And it's been enlightening, eye-opening and, and inspiring for so many different reasons. Before we finish up, we obviously have the tradition here on Make It Count, where we have the final secret question, which is where a previous guest gets to ask the question of the current guest. So I have uh, as always, I have no idea what this question is, so I will uh, I will bring it up for you now, Peter. But um, oh, it's, a, it's a short and powerful one for you. So, Peter, your secret question is: What does happiness mean to you? Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> what does happiness mean to me? Happiness means being able to enjoy all the things and the people that I have. Mm. So for me, there's a large part of that being involved in my church community and being part of that faith journey. That's really important. Uh, obviously, my wife and my children are really important part of that as well. You know, for me, being binational, if you will, you know, between New Zealand and Canada, uh, travel and being able to visit, you know, my mother, my my siblings and my, my nieces in New Zealand, uh, that's also important. So, you know, those things aren't all compatible, by the way. Um, so, you know, be able to balance that and work. How do I get the most out of those without having to sacrifice one is, you know, what life is all about. It's working out how do we achieve the things we want to achieve and and retain some mental sanity in the process <laughs> and maybe even make some money along the way exactly it always helps doesn't it <laughs> yeah peter thank you as i said I've, I've really loved this conversation it has been so so powerful if people want to get in touch if people want to connect with you how do they find you yep easiest way is just email peter at fuelaccountants.com uh, our website is fuelaccountants.com. Uh, you'll find me on LinkedIn. I'm not very active, uh, but you will find me there. And I uh, would love to hear from anyone uh, you know that uh, would love to follow up. Perfect. I'll make sure we'll put those links in the show notes as well. 
For now, Peter, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure. We will have to get you back for a part two in the future because I can't wait to see where the next stage of this journey goes for you. But for now, it's been amazing. Thank you, Peter, for being part of Make It Count. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode informed, educated, motivated, and inspired you to make it count for your clients and your business. Make sure you check out the show notes of this episode for the all important links. Please hit subscribe, share it with the world, and don't forget to give us a five-star review. We love getting feedback on this show, and I'd love to hear which part resonated with you the most. Remember, you have got the skills, talent, expertise, and experience to make a huge difference in the lives and businesses of your clients. The days of the bean counter are over. It's time to make it count. I'll see you on the other side.